in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, Reformation Day and All Saints Day have, have come and they have gone, and, and the church year is, is sort of winding down as we speak. Uh, and and I'm, I'm kind of one who really finds the church year helpful in the life of a Christian. It's kind of this, this idea that helps us to center our lives around Christ and who he is and the life and death and resurrection and his ascension that kind of helps us to stay grounded in the faith. Uh, and so now, I can actually find it quite helpful in, in how we hear God's word and read God's word and study God's word. And so this, this time now brings us now towards the end. Uh, but, but the church year kind of goes like this. It begins with Advent, which is right around the corner, by the way. And, and we, we kind of prepare for Christ's coming into the world where he comes into the flesh of an infant baby. And that gives way to what season? Christmas! Yeah, it gives way to Christmas, right? And so we have Christmas where we kind of rejoice in the Christ child having been born, and that, that kind of moves us into this, this season called Epiphany. Right? And Epiphany is kind of this, this idea of the revelation of Christ as the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come to save all people. And Epiphany has these kind of two really high holy days called uh, the, the baptism of Jesus and the transfiguration of Jesus. And that leads us into the next season called Lent. Right? And Lent begins with Ash Wednesday where we get ashes on our foreheads and we're reminded that we are dust and to dust we shall return. And through this time we repent, we focus on, on Christ and what he has done for us to forgive our sins. And this kind of culminates in what we know as Holy Week where we have Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, and it comes to its glorious, kind of glorious conclusion in the resurrection of Jesus where he, he defeats sin, death, and the devil. And, and then he, he ascends to heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father. And then the rest of the church here is called, uh, kind of what we're in now, ordinary time. And it feels like it lasts forever, right? And during this ordinary time, we, we, we hear parables of Jesus. We, we hear his teachings and we, we grow in the faith. That's why we have green for growth. And then this kind of has a stopping point around All Saints Day, where we, we celebrate those faithfully departed, all who have come before us, and we rejoice in this, this moment of unity with those who have gone past, with those in the present, and those even in the future. And then there's these last three Sundays, which we find ourselves in now, and in the last three Sundays of the church year, so to bring it all to fruition, Jesus has ascended. Now, for the next three Sundays, we focus on his return. To put it more plainly, we focus on what we kind of know as the end times. And so the next three weeks, we're doing kind of this little unofficial sermon series about the end and you might be wondering why, well, you know, th there's a lot of things out there about the end times, especially with some current events. There's a lot of people who claim to know what's going to happen. And I just want to say this to clear the air. If you hear someone predicting the end times, when Jesus is going to come, if he's, they're predicting what's going to happen, I want to encourage you, and I give you permission to ignore them. <laughs> because as our gospel reading tells us, nobody knows the day nor the hour. But Jesus has something to say about the end. And for the next three weeks, we see Jesus speaking once again in parables. 
And so for the next three weeks, I want you to block out all of the noise and listen to Jesus. And for me, this is sort of an exciting topic, this idea of the end, because I love endings, okay? Anyone here like to read? Right, there's some readers in here. Yeah, yeah, you all know what I'm talking about. If you like stories, even, even maybe it's a TV show or a movie, we all know that, that even the best book will only be considered the best if it has a good ending. The, the ending of a story has this ability to make or break everything that came before. It doesn't matter how good it was. If the ending was, a, was kind of a bummer, the whole book is now a bummer. The ending makes or breaks any story. The ending kind of, kind of wraps things up. It, it resolves conflicts. It brings things full circle. It, it makes the story feel complete and satisfying. A bad ending leaves you wanting. A good ending makes you sad it's over. And Jesus, here in these parables, he is now coming to the end of his earthly ministry. And he focuses now to, well, the end of all things. See, before this, Jesus' parables, they focus on kind of the joy of the kingdom of heaven, the, the gracious gifts of God. They were things that were uplifting, and, and they brought with it God's gifts. But now his parables take this dark turn. His, his parables take this, this, this hard-line stance. And in all three of the ones we're going to see in the next couple weeks, they all have this distinctive feature. In them, there are, there are those who are foolish, and there are those who are wise. In them, there are those who are in and those who are out. In them, there are those who reject the Christ and those who receive him as Lord. In them, there are those who are saved and those who are damned. And so when we start to talk about the end, we can often find ourselves sort of in a terrifying place. Well, this morning we heard the first of these three parables. Uh, the, some call it the parable of the, the ten virgins or the parable of the bridesmaids. And, and it goes a little like this to recap. There, there are ten of them, ten bridesmaids, and they are waiting for the groom. And, and, and they are seemingly sitting in darkness because there they have their lamps or, or, or in modern days, their cell phones, Right? Uh, and there are five who are wise, and there are five who are foolish. Now, the five who are wise, they have extra oil, or, or they bring their charger, right? Uh, and then you have the others who don't go and get any extra oil, and, and they are lacking. Uh, but it seems that this bride, that the, the bridegroom, the groom, is a little bit delayed, and they don't know when he's coming. But th some of them ought to be prepared, and the others say, we're, we're fine. And then finally they announce his coming. The, the groom is here. The groom is here. Come and meet him. And, and the five who are prepared go. They have what they need. But the five who are foolish say, well, we need, we need what you have. <laughs> and those who are prepared said, well, there's not enough. You've got to go find some somewhere else. And so while they're gone, going to find oil, the groom comes. He welcomes the five who are prepared into the wedding feast, into the banquet, and he shuts the door, and those who come back beg and plead, let us in, let us in, Lord. And he looks at them and he says, 
I don't know you. It's kind of a disconcerting parable. Because the minute we hear this parable, our mind starts to do something. It starts to try to find which one we are. But before we get to that point, I want you to not focus so much on which one you are, but I want us to to kind of see this in the grand scheme of the larger account of Jesus. And so in order to understand the end, we have to go back to the beginning. The beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, to be exact, where, where John the Baptist is coming and he's announcing the way of Jesus, the one who is coming, the one who is greater than I, the one who will, who will make all those valleys and raise them up to be highways. This is the one he is coming. But the picture that he paints of Jesus is not the one that we're used to or common with. Right? When John the Baptist comes and proclaims the coming Christ, he describes him coming with an axe in one hand to chop down the trees, to to level them out, to get rid of the dead ones and the bad ones and cast them away. He comes with a winnowing fork in the other hand and he's going to separate the wheat and he's going to separate the chaff. The wheat come into my barns, but but the chaff, they are sent to unquenchable fire. John the Baptist paints the Jesus that comes with wrath. He comes with judgment. He comes to separate those who are saved and those who are lost. The the, the Jesus that John the Baptist paints is a little frightening. See, whenever we talk about the end times, it, it causes us to ask the question, which one are we? And so now you might be feeling that pull to figure out in, 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 which this, in this parable, which one am I? Maybe you find yourself gazing at your jar of oil and you're wondering if you have enough. You, you hear Jesus coming with his winnowing fork in one hand and his, his axe in the, in, the re- in the left, and he comes with unquenchable fire following him, and that fire is meant, maybe you think, for you. And, and, and you think and you sit and you wonder, am I prepared for when Christ returns? And you, and you look at that jar of oil and you start to ask yourself these questions. Have I believed hard enough? Have I gone to church enough? H- have I given enough? Or maybe you start to just simply doubt. What, what if I'm not ready? I have so much life to live. Do I have enough faith? Well, Jesus this morning in his parable invites you to focus less on the amount of oil that you have. And he says, turn your gaze and look at the bridegroom. He, he invites us, instead of, of looking inward at this ourself, and look at the one who comes. Because the more you look at your oil, the more afraid you become that you're, there isn't enough. 
And if you're like me, the end times have, have a way of, of causing great fear. But Jesus saw, does something that I hope this morning casts out that fear. Now Jesus turns our gaze towards himself. See, at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus came in all of his judgment and all his wrath, winnowing forth acts and unquenchable fire. But now, in this parable, at the end of Matthew, when Jesus is going forth to die there, he paints himself not as one filled of wrath, but one who looks at his bride. And if you've ever seen a groom look at his bride, you know what I'm talking about. A groom stands there and he sees his bride at the end of the aisle and in many instances he, he can hardly help but, but smile. In some instances tears of joy fills his eyes. He sees one who is beautiful beneath all of her flaws, beneath all of her sin, beneath any imperfection. There is his bride and he loves her. He doesn't look at her as one worthy of unquenchable fire one who is worthy of all he has to give. He looks at her and he gives himself to her with a love that is steadfast. See, rather than looking at your oil today, I want you to consider the kind of God that we have. Jesus invites you to see the kind of bridegroom that he is. And so here's a few things that we know about Jesus. Jesus loves you. And, and he has a love that will never grow weary. He has a love that is strong and steadfast. He has a love that, that goes to the ends of the earth. He has a love that, that seeks you out when you are lost. He has a love that raises you up from your shame. He has a love that will raise you from the dead. He has a love that will continue to make you whole. He has a love that will forgive any of the sins that you have committed. He has a love that restores you. See, in the days following this parable... The disciples will see the kind of love that God has. Because in the days following this parable, Jesus will go and he will be rejected by the Pharisees, by the Jewish people, the ones he has come to save. In the following days, Jesus will be abandoned by his friends and, and cast out into the dark all alone. In these coming days, he will be beaten, bloodied, and scourged. And in these following days, he will be crucified and raised up on a cross. And this is where he will die. In the coming days, he will lie in a stone-cold grave. But he, again, will rise. And this will be a proof that God loves you. Because you will not receive the wrath of a winnowing fork and an axe with unquenchable fire. Jesus has. And so now, now you can see the love of God, that he, the love of God for you. And his love endures. His love conquers, his love triumphs, his love saves, and his love for you is eternal. And so at the end, 
when all things come to fruition, when all things come complete, when Jesus calls all to himself, he will call you. See, as the days of discipleship in this world continue to grow weary and dark, as the bills maybe sit on the table and sort of stack up and mock you, or, or maybe it's the homework and the teachers are just relentless and they do that thing where they all plan the big projects due on the same day. Mr. Borndahl, we know you, ca- you guys talk, all right? And may- maybe it's simply that, that the burdens of life are stressful. Maybe there's strife within your family. May- maybe your marriage just, just isn't what it used to be. All of these things. Or maybe it's those sins that mock you, that make you feel guilty. Maybe it's Satan whispering his poison in your ears. Maybe it's the tears that drip from your eyes as you continue to feel the sting of death. Maybe as you continue to battle on, I want you now to to look up at your bridegroom. And know that him and his mercies are new every morning. That his love will triumph all. And when he finally comes at last, when he comes to, to, to bring with him judgment and wrath, you will only give you love and mercy. When that day comes, he will look at you and he will smile. He will look at you and he will welcome you into his kingdom forever. So brothers and sisters, as you look at the world and the chaos that's all around you, I do not want you to be afraid of the ends. Because endings are the best. And this ending is the best. Did I tell you I love endings? (laughs) In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand for